Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about famous horses. Philonicus the Thessalian brought the horse Bucephalus to Philip, offering to sell him for 13 talents. But when they went into the field to try him, they found him so very vicious and unmanageable that he reared up when they endeavored to mount him, and would not so much as endure the voice of any of Philip's attendants. Upon which, as they were leading him away, as wholly useless and untractable, Alexander, who stood by, said, What an excellent horse do they lose for want of address and boldness to manage him. Philip at first took no notice of what he said, but when he heard him repeat the same thing several times, and saw he was much vexed to see the horse sent away, Do you reproach, said he to him, those who are older than yourself, as if you knew more and were better able to manage him than they? I could manage this horse, replied he, better than others do. And if you do not, said Philip, what will you forfeit for your rashness? I will pay, answered Alexander, the whole price of the horse. At this the whole company fell a-laughing, and as soon as the wager was settled amongst them, he immediately ran to the horse, and, taking hold of the bridle, turned him directly towards the sun, having, it seems, observed that he was disturbed at and afraid of the motion of his own shadow. Then, letting him go forward a little, still keeping the reins in his hands, and stroking him gently when he found him began to grow eager and fiery, he let fall his upper garment softly, and with one nimble leap securely mounted him. And when he was seated, by little and little drew in the bridle, and curbed him without either striking or spurring him. Presently, when he found him free from all rebelliousness, and only impatient for the course, he let him go at full speed, inciting him now with a commanding voice, and urging him also with his heel. Philip and his friends looked on, at first in silence and anxiety for the result, till, seeing him turn at the end of his career, and come back rejoicing and triumphing for what he had performed, they all burst out into acclamations of applause, and his father, shedding tears, it is said, for joy, kissed him as he came down from his horse, and in his transport said, Oh, my son, look thee out, a kingdom equal to and worthy of thyself, for Macedonia is too little for thee. That was, of course, Plutarch, specifically section 6 of his life of Alexander the Great. I was reminded of this account the other day, which, in turn, made me think of some of the most famous horses in Chinese history. Now, the subject of horses in Chinese history actually is a pretty involved one. There was the issue of the strategic importance of horses, 
The original horse breed commonly available in China was short and stocky, closer to being ponies than proper horses. This fact conferred a distinct military disadvantage on the Chinese when they had to fight nomadic peoples like the Xiongnu, people who had access to superior Central Asian or maybe even Arabian horses. For this reason, the Chinese became obsessed with purchasing those superior breeds and crossbreeding them with Chinese horses to improve the stock. For this reason, those horses commanded exorbitant prices and played a major role in the history of Chinese commerce with neighboring peoples. In the case of Tibet, for example, during the Tang Dynasty, the Chinese bought horses from the Tibetans and sold them tea in return, once the Tibetans fell in love with that drink. And the role of horses in commerce in turn led them becoming a major theme in Chinese art. Chinese painters became enamored with images of stallions galloping, with the dynamism that the theme allowed them to portray. And so we can easily go down a rabbit hole there and do a deep dive into horses in Chinese art history. But I'm afraid I'm going to be a little lazy today and leave those rather expert subjects for another time. Today I just want to recall a couple of famous horses from Chinese history and the famous men who rode them, as they seem to me to echo the Alexandrian theme. Indeed, the cross-cultural commonality of humanity's desire to mythologize not only the great conquering hero, but the conquering hero on his conquering horse, probably says something deep about human nature and mankind's relationship to animals. And although obviously there are far more famous human beings than famous horses in the annals of Chinese history, there are nonetheless quite a few horses mentioned by name as somehow significant. Today we'll just focus on a couple most important ones. The number one horse that comes to mind when considering Chinese history is, of course, the Chituma, or red hair horse. Hair not as in hair on your head, but hair as in rabbit. So we may also translate the name as the Crimson Rabbit. Why is it called that? Well, turns out there's no consensus on why. A manual on picking horses discovered in a Han Dynasty tomb tells us that a good horse ought to have head and shoulders shaped like a hare. I really don't know what that means, but this could be the source of the name. A second theory is that the crimson hare was a mythological creature and a good omen. A Tang Dynasty text tells us that. A third theory is that the character meaning hare or rabbit here was a transcription error from a similar character meaning tiger. So the crimson hare was really the crimson tiger. 
So much for the name. Why is the crimson hare a famous horse from Chinese tradition? Well, the crimson hare comes onto the stage of Chinese history during the Three Kingdoms era, so the end of the Han Dynasty, leading into the period of chaos that followed, the end of the second century AD into the early third. The San Guozhi or Chronicles of the Three Kingdoms tells us that the general Lü Bu rode a powerful stallion named the Crimson Hare. Lü Bu was a great warrior, one of the greatest of the age, but no one ever accused him of being too nice or too honorable. He repeatedly betrayed erstwhile friends, allies, and patrons, always looking out only for himself. And so, when the warlord Cao Cao had Lü Bu killed in 199 AD, no one particularly shed a tear for him, even though his prowess as a warrior remained legendary. And the truth is that, after his death, the Crimson Hare disappeared from historical records. In the 14th century novel, The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, however, the Crimson Hare went on to partake in further adventures under a new owner. The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, of course, was the fictionalized version of the history of the Three Kingdoms, and in many ways is sought to improve on the truth, as it were, to make the original true stories more satisfying to Chinese readers. Lü Bu was a great fighter, but he was not a great man, not even a good man. And so it seemed unsatisfying that a real asshole of a man rode this famous horse. So in this version, after Cao Cao killed Lü Bu, he came into possession of the Crimson Hare. Subsequently, he came across Guan Yu or Guan Yunchang. As we already talked about more than once on this podcast, Guan Yu was one of the heroes of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. He was, in a way, the Chinese answer to Achilles. He was a great warrior as well, like Lü Bu, but he possessed infinitely superior character. Indeed, he was thought to exhibit all the traits that classical Chinese culture taught were the traits of a true hero. Justice, honor, courage, loyalty. And he and his two swarm brothers, Liu Bei and Zhang Fei, formed the core group of characters in the romance. So Cao Cao came across Guan Yu at a time when Guan Yu had gotten separated from his friends. And Guan Yu told anyone who would listen that as soon as he heard news of where his friends were, he would leave and go join them. Cao Cao didn't want this to happen. He wanted Guan Yu to stay and serve him as one of his generals. So Cao Cao gave him a gift, the Crimson Hare Horse, hoping that the tremendous favor shown would cause Guan Yu to switch his loyalty to him. Unfortunately for Cao Cao, he was doomed to be disappointed. 
As soon as Guan Yu had news of Liu Bei's whereabouts, he jumped on crimson hair and rode off into the proverbial sunset. For the rest of his career in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, Guan Yu always rode the crimson hair. After Guan Yu was ultimately killed, the Romance says, the crimson hair refused to eat and died so as to follow its master into the underworld. Like I said, this version is fiction, but it's the version we all remember. Guan Yu became such a touchstone in Chinese tradition that he came to be worshipped as a god, as the paragon of soldierly qualities. And so the image of Guan Yu on his crimson horse also became engraved on the Chinese psyche. You can find temples dedicated to Guan Yu all over the Chinese cultural sphere, including in Southeast Asia. And you'll find that he is almost always depicted with his famous crimson hair. The second famous horse that comes to mind for me is the Udre Ma, the Udre horse. There's a bit of a difficulty of translation here. Wu means black, all right? And Dre is defined in the Erya, the earliest philological text in Chinese culture, as a horse with black and white interspersed. So the Udre horse is then a term simultaneously redundant and self-contradictory. It literally means the black and black and white horse horse. Moreover, although the horse in question is commonly referred to as Wu Zhui, in the historical records of Sima Qian, it is referred to only as Zhui, so leaving out the part about it being black. Once again, we owe the common name Wu Zhui to a work of historical fiction, albeit a much less famous one the romance of the Western Han Dynasty. And once again, we've covered the story before on this podcast, the story of the founding of the Han Dynasty. The key part I should remind you of right now is simply that toward the end of the competition between various warlords who would be emperor, two main camps remained. One followed a middle-aged former small-time crook, Liu Bang, who, despite not being much of a warrior, was a great politician. The other followed a romantic young hero and the greatest warrior of his generation, Xiang Yu. The Wu Zhui horse was said to be Xiang Yu's battle charger. The romance of the Western Han Dynasty paints a romantic picture of the horse and its rider. The Wu Zhui was said to be a horse totally black except for its feet, which were snow white. And much like Alexander of Macedon, Xiang Yu had to tame his untamable horse. Many men tried to tame the Wu Zhui, we're told, but none succeeded. Xiang Yu enjoyed a challenge, so he tried. He jumped on the horse, and it immediately began to gallop. The horse tried to throw him, but Xiang Yu was a remarkably strong man, 
and he managed to cling to the horse and never get thrown. Eventually, the horse grew tired and started to slow down. As man and horse passed a tree, Xiang Yu grabbed the tree to try to force the horse to stop, but the horse wouldn't stop. Neither would Xiang Yu let go. With their combined strength, man and horse uprooted the entire tree. Finally, the horse recognized that it had met its match, and from then on served Xiang Yu loyally through years of war. But the ultimate outcome of the contest between the two leaders, Liu Bang and Xiang Yu, an outcome that would shape all of Chinese history to come, was victory for the wily politician, and a tragic end for the young hero. After Xiang Yu's final defeat by the army of the nascent Han Dynasty, he escaped on the Wuzhui and rode for his homeland, where he might be able to raise a new army. But then he and his twenty-seven surviving companions reached the river that they had to cross in order to get home. And here, Xiang Yu decided that he couldn't go home. He couldn't face. All the parents whose sons he had taken away to war, who were now all dead. The fictionalized version in the romance of the Western Han Dynasty says that at this point, he paid a ferryman to carry the Wuzhui horse across the river to safety, as he couldn't bear the thought of his horse dying with him. But he himself stood his ground. To fight the thousands of enemy soldiers pursuing him, but the horse, while on the boat and midstream, saw that his master back on shore was about to embrace certain death. It cried out, and then jumped into the river, drowning itself. That's the fictional dramatized version. The factual. Historical records of Sima Tian tells a slightly less emotional story. As Xiang Yu reached the river and decided that he couldn't bear to go home, he also regretted having his beloved horse die with him. So he said to the local magistrate, who happened to be on the scene, "Sir, I know you to be a good man. This horse here has been my ride." For the last five years, it is an invincible horse, and can cover a distance of one thousand li in one day. I do not have the heart to kill it. As such, I give it to you as a gift. Then Xiang Yu turned around to face certain death. The factual version is a little less dramatic, of course, and it doesn't tell us how the Wu Zhui died. Perhaps that's why the fictionalized version is again more popular, and it's a bit reminiscent of the story of Alexander's horse Bucephalus dying after the Battle of Hydaspes in what is now Pakistan. The difference being, I suppose, that in Xiang Yu's case, his precious Wu Zhui essentially committed suicide after his master's final defeat. 
in Alexander's case, his beloved Bucephalus might have died from wounds sustained in what was ultimately a great victory for Alexander. Part of the heavy price of victory, as it turned out. Anyway, this has been MODG. Thank you for listening.